All right, this is one of those passages where you really look forward to he- hearing the sermon. So turn up page 488 in your Bible. We're doing um, Isaiah chapter 7. And look, it's full of good words. Shir Jashub means a remnant will return and even the Israelis are, not the Israelis, the Egyptians are flies, believe it or not. Okay. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, the king Rezan of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied himself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Azar and his people were shaken as the trees in the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shir Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the pool of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering shrubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezan and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim and Remaliah's son have blotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Taleb king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, it will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only Razan. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people and the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whereas in the deepest depths are in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. But Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of men. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. In that day the Lord will whistle for flies from the distant streams of Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and at the water holes. In that day the Lord will use a razor hide from beyond the river, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and the hair of your legs and to take off your beards also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young goat and two two goats. And because of the abundance of the milk they give, he will have curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there were a thousand vines worth worth a thousand shekels, there will only be briars and thorns. 
Men will go there with bows and arrows, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for all the hills once cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of briars and thorns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. Did you know that it's exactly two weeks till Christmas today? Now, nobody seems to like it when you say that, except kids, of course. There's kind of a collective silent groan that people express when you say things like that. Just two weeks till Christmas. You can kind of see a a panic in people's eyes when they think about all the ways that they're not ready. Like, have you got a present for your wife or your husband? Or a present for your mother-in-law yet? Not, not re-gifting, but something that they, they really want? Yeah, I thought so. You're not ready for Christmas, are you? <laughs> Christmas feels very close now. We're, we're right into it. Too close, perhaps, for some of us. But today, I want to take us back to a time when Christmas was very extremely distant. We're actually going to travel back to 734 years before Christmas, 734 years BC. Today we're continuing our series looking at Christmas through the, idea, through the eyes of the ancient prophet Isaiah. And in many ways it's a strange way to look at Christmas. And it's actually hard work too, because Isaiah sees Christmas as he looks through the events of his day. And so to understand his view of Christmas, we've got to understand what's going on in his world. And Isaiah, as he sees Christmas, doesn't see something close, something very close. He sees Christmas as a glimmer of hope far, far away in the distance. Now, it could make you wonder why bother looking at Christmas through his eyes at all, since it's such hard work and and since... He sees it from so far away. But the beauty of seeing Christmas through his eyes is that we get to see it afresh. We get to see it from an angle that perhaps we might otherwise miss. It can be easy to think, yes, we we know all about Christmas. And unfortunately, it, it can be easy to be uninspired by it. But if that's the case, then we're missing something huge and it'll do us good to see it afresh. Plus, it's absolutely amazing, astounding, the way God predicts and God reveals what He was going to do in Jesus, hundreds and hundreds of years before His birth. So today we're going to do the hard work of putting ourselves into Isaiah's context and we're going to catch a glimpse of Christmas through his eyes. Now, as Peter Lockery told us last week, Isaiah lived in troubled times his, his world was pretty grim and dark. Look at Isaiah 7 verse 1. This gives us kind of a summary, actually, of, of everything that's happening in this chapter. Follow along with me. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Isaiah's world is grim because in the northeast, Assyria was growing in power. And being so close to the border with Assyria, Aram and northern Israel are getting more and more nervous. See, they want to stand up to Assyria. 
So they form an alliance and they want to force Jerusalem, which is down below them in the south, to join them. The king of Jerusalem, that's Ahaz, when he hears about this alliance and their plan to force Jerusalem to join them, he's terrified. So look at verse 2. Now the house of David, that's Ahaz, was told Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. Ephraim is another name for northern Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. It can get a bit confusing in this chapter with all the different people, names and different countries. It it ranges between countries, capitals and kings. So think of it like this. It's like Queensland is growing in power and becoming more and more threatening. Don't laugh. Who's going to get the most nervous? New South Wales and Northern Territory, right? Because they're, they're the closest. So that's what's going on. Now, for us here in South Australia, it would be like Sydney and Darwin marching on Adelaide to try and force us to join an alliance against Brisbane. That's kind of what's going on in history. Now, hopefully with that illustration, I've managed to insult all the interstate people here. Have I left anyone out? Where's Tasmania? Where's Tasmania? That's part of New Zealand. Okay, we've got everyone covered now. (laughs) Can you understand why Ahaz is worried though? The plan of Aram and northern Israel is to get rid of him and to set up their own puppet king, a king who'll join them in the fight against Assyria. He's caught between a rock and a hard place. He's terrified of Assyria and he's terrified of this new alliance against Assyria. And it's into this really tense situation that God speaks. So look at verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shir Jashab, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Isaiah is to go out and to speak to Ahaz as he's inspecting the city's water supply. In other words, he's preparing for a siege. And God wants Isaiah to give King Ahaz a clear, easy-to-understand message. You can see it there in verse 4. Say to Ahaz, be careful, keep calm and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezim and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen. This is good news for Ahaz. God's telling him that he doesn't need to be afraid of of this alliance of his neighbours against him. Instead, he should have faith that God will take care of it. God says in verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God makes it clear that if Ahaz trusts him, he'll take care of things. And God even offers Ahaz, offers to help him stand firm in his faith. Look at verse 11, at what God offers him. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. God offers to help strengthen his faith. Imagine being offered by God a chance to see some sort of sign 
so that you could really have faith that God's got a situation sorted. Imagine that. God says to him, ask for anything. If that were you, what would you ask for? You know, okay, God, when I wake up tomorrow, let the ocean be yellow or the grass blue. I'm colorblind. I don't know why I'm asking for these kind of signs. They're already yellow and blue. (laughs) Maybe something a bit more helpful. Okay, God, a sign. All Port Adelaide players get an I love Rory tattoo on their shoulder. Imagine something like that. You know, you could ask anything. God is going out of his way here to give King Ahaz every opportunity to trust him. So have a look at the sign that Ahaz requests in verse 12. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. That sounds virtuous, doesn't it? It sounds so godly, so spiritual. But when God offers to help us in our weakness, we should be extremely careful not to fob him off. We should be extremely careful not to overestimate our own strength. Because when we fob God off, it's never actually because we don't need his help. It's always deep down inside because we don't want his help. It sounds like Ahaz has so much faith he doesn't need a sign, but that's not at all what's going on because look at how Isaiah responds in verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, that's Ahaz. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Now notice that Isaiah goes from saying, ask the Lord your God for a sign, to in verse 13, Isaiah says to Ahaz, you try the patience not of our God, but my God. Ahaz doesn't want a sign from God because he doesn't trust God. In fact, Ahaz has already got his own plan and he doesn't want to have to trust God's plan. His plan was to become a vassal state, a kind of servant state of Assyria, and to call on them, Assyria, to deal with Aram and northern Israel. Now, any way you look at this, this is a really stupid plan. It's like New Zealand invading Australia. Here you go, you don't have to worry, I'm going to insult them as well. It's like New Zealand Zealand invading Australia and Malcolm Turnbull calling on Russia to save us from them. Who's the biggest threat in the end, New Zealand or Russia? Well, New Zealand doesn't even have an air force. Ahaz invites Assyria into his own backyard. He'd prefer to stand firm in his own political manoeuvring rather than to stand firm in faith that God can save them. Now, this is actually exactly what Isaiah was told would happen last week in chapter 6. He was told that when God spoke to his people, they wouldn't want to hear it. So, in verse 9 of chapter 6, God says, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Because they wouldn't hear the the clear, simple message from God, he was sending Isaiah to tell them that it was now too late. God's judgment was coming. And God's judgment starts with us not hearing, listening to God. God gave Ahaz the chance to listen to him, but he refuses to hear 
and he refuses to see, he doesn't even want a sign. So God gives him his own cryptic sign that he won't properly understand. Look at verse 14. Therefore, Isaiah says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What does God mean by this sign? And most of us are probably thinking that he's talking about Jesus here because Matthew quotes this verse in Matthew 1.23 saying that it's ultimately about Jesus. But Jesus is born 734 years later. So how could that be a sign for Ahaz? And this is where we have to do some hard work. Because before we can understand how this sign is about Jesus, first we need to see how this is a sign for Ahaz in his context. It's a mistake to think that Old Testament prophecy just speaks about the future. Have you heard that idea before or or maybe even had that idea? It's a mistake to think that Old Testament prophecy just speaks about the future. Prophecy in the Old Testament does much more than that. The first thing it does is talk about the past, actually. It calls them back to their covenant with God from Mount Sinai. And the next thing that it does is it talks about their present. And then, finally, it talks about the future. But the way that prophecy sees into the future is like this. You can see it in this diagram. In the Old Testament, prophecy is like seeing the peak of a mountain behind another mountain. See all the different hills or the mountains there? Now, it's very hard to describe the mountain that you're seeing in the distance independent of the mountain in front of you. You see them as as one thing, when they're actually in several parts. Well, the sign Isaiah is to give to Ahaz is, first of all, a sign in his time. It's about something that God is doing back then. But second, the sign speaks of the future goal of what God is doing then. So it's a sign of what's happening back then, but it's also a sign of the future goal of what he's doing back then. It speaks of the fulfilment of where everything that he's doing is ultimately leading. Isaiah speaks about the events of his time, but at the same time, he sees in the distance a mountaintop of a, mount, of a time to come where all these events are ultimately leading. So let's have a look at what this sign says to Ahaz in his context. And then after that, we'll look at what it says about the future. And like I said, this is slightly hard work, so stick with me. Look at verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right... The land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The sign for Ahaz is that there's going to be a son born and he's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And within a very short time frame, Ahaz will have no need to fear Aram and northern Israel any longer. That sounds good for Ahaz, doesn't it? It sounds like 
salvation, God's going to save them. But keep reading, verse 17, the Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Ahaz wanted to bring Assyria to deal with Aram and northern Israel only. But God's saying that's not what's going to happen. It's going to overflow and impact Jerusalem as well. Look at verse 18. In that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks, on all the thorn bushes and at all the water holes. This is not a positive picture. It's a picture of a, a country absolutely crawling with invaders. Ahaz's confidence in Assyria was misplaced. He feared the countries around him when he should have been fearing God. Assyria is nothing to God. He whistles and they come at his beck and call. They're like insects to him. They do his bidding. And so God says, Ahaz will call on Assyria. And yes, they'll deal with Aram and, and northern Israel. But Ahaz isn't going to escape unharmed. Assyria is going to come a little too close for comfort. It's going to be a close shave. Look at verse 20. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and private parts and to cut off your beard also. Because of Ahaz's refusal to listen, his failure to trust God, God's bringing disaster on his land. So Assyria is going to devastate it. And so God's sign, God's own sign to Ahaz, is actually a sign of judgment. But did you notice that it's not just a sign of judgment? Because we read that this child to be born will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So who is this Emmanuel? Before he's a couple of years old, he'll be eating curds and honey, and Aram and northern Israel will be laid waste. Well, did you notice in our chapter that this is actually the second child that's mentioned? Did you notice that? Remember that God told Isaiah to take his own son, Shear Jashab, with him to speak with Ahaz in verse 3. Have a look. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jashab, to meet Ahaz. This is not God saying to Isaiah, you need to spend some more father-son time. Um, his son is actually here for an important reason. It's because Shear Jashab points to the exact sign that Isaiah is giving to Ahaz. Shear Jashab means a remnant shall return. A tiny group will turn back to God. Shear Jashab's presence is not irrelevant. It's the whole point of Isaiah's message to Ahaz. The sign of Emmanuel is actually cryptically saying exactly the same thing. A tiny group will turn back to God. You see, in the immediate context, the virgin who is with child is daughter Zion. It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is bringing into the world a baby. And that baby 
is the remnant who shall return, a tiny group who turns back to God. And what does Isaiah say that this group will be called? This group that stands firm in faith? Emmanuel. God is with us. Not with you, Ahaz. God is with us. He is with those who gather around Isaiah and who stand firm in their faith. Now again, this is just what God told Isaiah to say back in chapter 6. Though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. God will be with this small group and will look after them. Look at verse 21. In that day, a person will keep alive a young cow and and two goats. Because of the abundance of the milk they give, there will be curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. The idea here is that all the crops are gone, so there's no food there. But there are so few people left that they can survive quite well off gathering wild honey and the few animals remaining. God will keep this small group who stand firm in faith safe through the coming devastation. So this is a sign of judgment for those who refuse to hear God. But it's a sign of salvation for the remnant that stand faith, stand firm in their faith in God. Well, what Isaiah predicted would happen, happened just two years later. So he was speaking to Ahaz in 734 BC. In 732 BC, northern Israel fell to Assyria under Tiglath-Pileser III. And a puppet king was set up, Hosea, in 732 BC. And in the same year, he moved on from there to Aram, and Aram also fell. And then northern Israel was actually completely destroyed in 722 BC under Shalmaneser V. But also, as Isaiah predicted, Jerusalem didn't escape unharmed. Ahaz invited Assyria into their backyard And it flowed over. In 701 BC, Judah was all but devastated as all the cities around it were destroyed. It was an extremely close shave. All the land was occupied by Sennacherib and Jerusalem itself was surrounded and in the end only escaped by a miracle from God. But as God said, Jerusalem did escape. And amongst them, God kept safe a small group who stood firm in their faith. The big question we've got left to ask, of course, is this. If Emmanuel is the faithful remnant, how can Matthew say that Jesus' birth was fulfilling what God said to Isaiah? Have a look at it in Matthew 1. Verse 21, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, Matthew says this because Jesus is the ultimate remnant. He's the ultimate 
fulfillment of both the faithful remnant and God's promises to the faithful remnant. From that holy seed, from that stump, from that baby born in 734 BC, eventually comes Jesus. The path that God signposted to Ahaz led all the way to Jesus. He's the goal of of that sign that Isaiah gave. Because he is the truly faithful remnant. He's the one person in all of Israel's history who stood firm in faith perfectly. Unlike Ahaz, unlike anyone else. He's perfectly faithful, perfectly righteous. He is uniquely the one true faithful remnant. He is uniquely born of a virgin. He is uniquely God with us. Jesus is the fulfillment of the remnant who stand firm in faith and he's the fulfillment of the salvation that God promises them. Because Jesus calls a new remnant to follow him, a new people to stand firm in faith, who God will save not from Assyria, not from an alliance. He will save from the source of all these political disasters because the source of these is the people's refusal to hear their God and obey Him. But as Matthew says, Jesus will save His people from their sins. God is truly with us because He takes on flesh in Jesus. He calls us to stand firm in faith in Jesus and he saves us from our sin in Jesus. So this sign really is about the remnant in Ahaz's time, but even more so, it is completely about Jesus. They're joined like a path and its goal. Ahaz sees the start of the path and its destination is in Jesus. So as we come to an end, what do we do with this sign? What do we do with this sign that was for Ahaz, but for all of us, ultimately? Well, there are two key things that Ahaz refused to see about God, which we do well to see. First, God is supremely in control over all things. Ahaz feared Assyria, and yet God whistles, and Assyria comes. Ahaz thought that Assyria was his great danger when his refusal to listen to God was his only real danger in the end. And we can be the same as Ahaz. We can think that our great dangers in life are to do with all sorts of things, security, health, relationships, finances. And in our fear of how these things play out, we can miss our only real danger, which is refusing to listen to God we can miss our greatest problem, sin. The second thing is related that Ahaz refused to see. And he refused to see that wholehearted reliance on God is necessary, not reliance on man. See, Ahaz, he looked to his own political manoeuvring with Assyria and he was happy for God to get on board with his plans. But he wasn't happy to wholeheartedly rely on God's plan. Again, we can be the same as Ahaz. We can say to God, you're welcome to get on board with my plan, but I'm not going to wholeheartedly give myself to you, rely on yours. 
In fact, we can be quite upset with God when His plans are not what we had planned in life. God's made His plan clear to us. Our great need is to be saved from our sin. And He does this in Jesus. And His plan for us now is to trust and obey Jesus in the ups and the downs, whether it's what we planned or not, till Jesus returns. Our need is to come to Him, to rely on Him wholeheartedly, not in our own plans for life, independent of Him. Jesus, in the end, is the ultimate sign to this world. It's a sign of judgment to those who refuse to listen to God. But for those who wholeheartedly trust in God, He's a sign of salvation. God Himself come down. God Himself with us. In the mess of a stable, in the cold, in the poverty, God present to humanity to save all who stand firm in faith in Him. With us, to save us from the true source of every problem in this world. Our sin, refusing to listen to our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this difficult passage from so long ago where you caused us to really examine our hearts to see whether we will listen to you whether our ears are open to your voice whether we want to see your salvation ultimately shown in Jesus or whether we would prefer to just trust in our own plans and expect you to get on board with us Father, as we see the fulfillment of this sign in Jesus, as we hear his voice, as we respond to him, help us to realize the absolute power that he has, that no danger in this life is worth worrying about if our faith is in you. You've got us covered. Come what may, you have our greatest need sorted and our eternity safe. Lord, help us to wholeheartedly give ourselves to Jesus, our great King, God with us. Amen.